Hey guys, welcome to this episode of The Last Picture Hose. I'm Emma Beatty. And I'm Lily Stuklin. And we are coming to you from, uh, well, I'm still in Michigan and Lily is still in New York. <laughs> no one's gone anywhere. No one's gone anywhere. And what week of quarantine are we on? I think we just finished week three, right? I don't know. My roommate was like, thank God today's Saturday and not Sunday. And I'm like, honey, no, it's Sunday. <laughs> I'm starting, we're starting to like carve tally marks into the walls of our apartment. It's so weird to me because like the weeks and the weekends blur so much. Like it's like the weekends don't even feel special anymore. I don't know. The time so is just weird. a construct. I I slacked my boss a photo of me drinking wine from the bottle the other day. So I mean, nothing is sacred anymore. Everything is falling apart. Um, but we're here to talk about movies because they make things better. Yes, we are. So we are doing our third streaming roulette pod. Um, today we are tackling Amazon Prime. And the movies we have selected are Honey Boy and Mid-90s. And we will get into those in a second. But obviously we have to start with our, our quick question. Lily, what is a quick question today? Emma, what is the weirdest dream that you've had while living in isolation? Okay, so I had one this week that you're going to get a kick out of because you're going to be like, that's your nightmare, but like truly it it is. Which is precisely why you made this the question so that you could talk about it. (laughs) Yes, because I need to, I need to share this and I think you'll find it funny. So I had this nightmare that I was having a meeting with someone at like a very important magazine that I admire, which I will not name. So I was having a meeting with somebody there and the first thing I did was I sit down on the stool and I fall over and I knock the stool over and I was wearing a skirt. So I like flashed the person I was with. Nice. Then I recovered from that and I like, I forgot the name of the girl who referred me to this woman I was talking to. So I was like, oh, I can't remember her name. Can't remember her name. That was embarrassing. Then I forgot the name of the woman I was talking to. Then at the end of the meeting, because obviously it's going so swimmingly, I asked her for her email address and she deadpans like, I don't give out my email and just like looks at me. And I'm like, okay, well, that's insane. And then I went to go give her my business card because I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll give you mine if anything comes up, whatever. And then I realized I didn't have any business cards. I gave her someone else's business card instead of my own. <laughs> How insane is that? I feel like, like it checks out that you're your isolation dreams would um, manifest themselves in in the form of, like, a work nightmare. (laughs) That really, like, that checks I know. No, that's why I said you will laugh at this because of how, like, on brand it is. (laughs) It was my nightmare. Yeah, what about you? So mine, a 180, but this also checks out for me. Um, So I had a dream. This might have been, like, a few days after we finished watching Tiger King. Um, that I was, like, back in junior high or high school, like, you know, hanging out in a friend in my neighborhood's basement or something, and someone's dad, like, came in through the garage door with a tiger cub, um, and, like, all the kids, like, go swarm this dad with a tiger cub, and they're like, oh my god, so sick, awesome, everyone's, like, snapping pics on their, like, flip phone chocolates, um, and I immediately, (laughs) and I immediately was like, oh my god, like, that's not okay, and then, like, I don't know. You know how, like, dreams also, time doesn't exist in them properly, like, Inception style? So, like, for some reason, in this dream that I'm sure lasted, like, actually 10 minutes, um, it, like, fast-forwarded through an entire summer of me trying to, like, Nancy Drew the shit out of where this dad got a tiger. Um, Oh, my God. And then it, like, ended with (laughs) me finding out that they, like, always had them and, like, buried them in their backyards and, like, kept them in this secret room in their basement. And it was all very... (laughs) 
very nightmare fuel and also oh my god yeah right dark that's very traumatic yeah yeah weird shit um wow so god we're we're doing crazy we're doing well (laughs) yeah we're doing great over here everything is totally fine we feel very well adjusted no we are we're struggling as is everyone but yeah if you have a funny uh quarantine dream you should let us know on our instagram i would i'm dying to hear these they're so funny they're so good and just, everyone's I dreams are so vivid <laughs> seriously okay let's get into our first li- movie lily we are talking about honey boy is up first i'm your cheerleader you, honey boy i'm your cheerleader honey boy do you want me to do the the plot rundown i'm happy yeah, to and i know All that right. you feel the passionately about good old honey boy so have at i it. do i feel very strongly about this movie Okay, so this movie is written by Shia LaBeouf. It is based on his experiences as a child actor and also his experiences in rehab as an adult. So it was directed by Alma Harrell, who is more known for her documentary work, I believe. Um, This is her feature film debut, so that's really exciting. But basically, the movie splits time between the... So the character's name is Otis. It's not, it's like semi-autobiographical. So the character's name isn't Shia, it's Otis. But it splits time between the childhood of this kid and the adult portion of his life that he spent in rehab, which is where Shia LaBeouf actually wrote this screenplay. So the kid portion is him. He's living with his dad. He's acting really regularly. And his dad is there to be like his on-set supervisor because he's a child actor. But his dad, James, is really exploitative and verbally abusive and mean. And so that's one portion of this. Like, this kid trying to get his dad to love him, essentially. And then the rehab portion is Lucas Hedges plays the older version of him. And he's in rehab. He's, like, working through all this stuff um, that he... All these feelings that he has about his dad. So that's basically the plot of the movie. Um, Shia LaBeouf plays his own father, which is really interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Did I miss anything? No, you, you got, you got it. Yeah, I, I really love this movie. <laughs> I, I feel very strongly about it, but yes. Um, so we yeah, maybe together, let's talk. We? we did. Yes. Did. And then I watched it again. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but on Oscars day before the Oscars actually happened, I think I was feeling angsty because I, had I, I thought that Parasite was going to get the shaft. So I was like, I'm going to watch a movie I really like that also got snubbed before we do this <laughs> stupid ceremony. And wow, so what an act of defiance on your part. I know, I you know. I, you. I was like, I know, I'm so bad. Yeah, so I think maybe we should talk first about his choice to cast himself as his father. How did you feel about that? So I think, I mean, structurally the way that the story is set up, it makes sense because if he's trying to like, take apart his childhood um and this whole movie is is feels so intensely personal both these movies um I think are both very personal yes. for the for the I people think. that made them um and so I think for him like I, I think I saw a review when this first came out that was saying this is literally the definition of artist therapy um yes because <laughs> clearly we, we all know that Shia has 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 had some things going on in his life for a while um yes and so I think that that the decision to cast him ha- himself as his father, I mean, who else would have done the role? I, and I think it was kind of his way of potentially like reconnecting and trying to, I don't know, almost like role playing in a way, like in therapy, if they ever make you like role play, they're like, oh, play out this to see how the other person feels oh. in the situation. Yeah. So kind of Interesting. like, 
his way of like getting into his dad's like psyche because you're watching this movie and you're like, oh my God, like this dad is, he's like an alcoholic. They're living in out of like shitty motels and everything. But at the end of the day, like his dad still does like really love and care for him. But it's just like the way that he shows it is a little bit like toxic mm-hmm. and that how their relationship goes through these not great, like these highs and lows. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because I think it would be easy to assume before seeing the movie that the idea of him playing his dad is not is not the most unbiased version of this story or whatever like mm-hmm. I kind of was like oh oh beforehand I was like oh I bet he's gonna make his dad look like such a huge asshole because like he's he's spoken in interviews before about how dysfunctional his childhood was like this wasn't this wasn't like new news if mm-hmm. you had been paying attention to his life and at first you really do like you really don't like this character the dad character but what I found to be so impressive, and I think one of the things that really made me like fall for this movie was by the end, you understand so much more about this man and you, you know, I, I think the whole movie is an exercise in empathy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I am, I'm really impressed that he was able to take this person who caused him so much hurt and like show him in a way that like as an audience member by the end, I just like... I felt so bad for both of them. Like, I I just, like, I ached for them. It was so hard to Mm -hmm. watch. So I think that's really impressive. There's an interesting tidbit about this, though. You mentioned, um, you know, like, who else would play that role. So when Shia first told his dad that he was making this movie, he told his dad that Mel Gibson was going to play his dad. Oh. he That's what he said to, like, get his dad to say yes to it essentially, because I think he had to, like, I don't know how those things work. Yes, so he told his dad that Mel Gibson was going to play him, and then after the fact, I don't know where along the line, but somewhere along the line, he was like, no, actually, like, it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And maybe when he did, maybe when he did originally think of this movie, he did think of someone else playing his dad, and then somewhere along the line, it switched. Yeah. I don't think he always envisioned himself doing it. But I think the but fact I that, that he was does, really interesting. yeah, and I think the fact that he does really makes it like I think that's what hits home because you're watching this, like obviously all of us, we all grew up with Shia LaBeouf, like with Holes and Even Stevens and everything, and even like through Transformers and then his like downfall essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So I think watching this movie from that perspective and then seeing him play through this, like you can see it in, in his face and his eyes and like how he plays this, it is exactly like what you said, a like an exercise in empathy. And I think I just want to give him a hug. I know. I know. Same. I like both of them. I don't know. I, yeah, I was just like really floored by this. I also, do you think that this movie would be as like impactful if we were watching something that was a complete work of fiction instead of like something that we knew was based in the reality of this person we grew up with? Mm, I I think so. I mean, I feel like the yeah, half the weight of the film is because we all kind of grew up with him. Um, right. So I'm not sure, but I mean, I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. I mean, I would like to think that it works as a standalone, you know, mm-hmm. essentially. But like, I don't know. I think it's kind of impossible to say because, like, we it's like being familiar with the intellectual property, right? <laughs> like, yeah. we're like, it's like I know this. I think is is an example of like in this instance, you can't really separate the art from the artist because it's so personal. No, definitely not. But I think it really it really enhances like your viewing of it. Like you feel all of it so deeply. I think at least I did when I was in the movie, I was like, God, this is like very uh, cathartic is the word Mm -hmm. that I think like describes it very well. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, what were you going to say? Sorry. Did you have an issue? This is kind of pivoting a little bit, but um, you mentioned in your explanation of the plot, how it kind of jumps back and forth between when he's older um, in therapy, uh, the Lucas Hedges character, and then Noah Jupe playing the younger version of Otis. Um, did you have any issues with kind of the back and forth of it? Because I know they originally didn't shoot it that like with that intention. I believe it was originally shot to just be like one half purely Lucas Hedges and then one half like the Noah Jupe portion. And then mm. halfway through editing, I believe the editor was like, oh, wait, this is almost more impactful if we like do the bounce back and forth. Did you think that added to it? Oh, interesting. Did you find it distracting? Because I know that sometimes... I think when we saw it um, together at first, I was a little like thrown off, like not like Little Women style, how some people can't tell if when it's back in the future, yes. when it's like in the future or in the past, um, my parents. Totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like did that throw you off at all or did you did you appreciate the, the use of that? No, I think it worked really well in this instance because it was like watching the direct cause and effect right after each other. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think it just really hammered home like, the way that these certain abuses can impact people for years and years and years. Yeah, I also think, like, obviously Noah Jupe is so great in this movie, and as is Shia. I don't think Lucas Hedges, like, gets quite enough credit for, like, his performance, too. It's, like, it feels so raw and so angry. And, yeah, I really felt like those parts were very, very important, especially because, like, there's that kind of, like, meta moment of, like, at the end of, like, you should write this down and he starts to write it. And then like, obviously that is the screenplay that became Honey Boy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I kind of liked how they cut back and forth. I, it didn't bother me yeah. is in answer to your question. I, I think once I learned that like they had, they had gone in with the intention of it being like two separate stories, like mirroring each other. I like then appreciated the back and forth. Cause I'm like, Oh, I like the fact that they like discover that kind of has, they were going along and that that was the more impactful way. Like you said, like you can very much see like the cause and effect um yeah aspect of it really neat yeah I wonder if it would feel too even more jarring to go from like Noah Jupe version of this character to then all of a sudden you're in Lucas Hedges version and you're I don't know I wonder I'm sure I mean editing is is what makes that work right but like yeah can we get the alternative cut exactly can we get the yeah that would be really interesting to see let's get it trending on Twitter instead of release the Snyder cut I want like I don't know release the other honey boy cut Get it trending. Someone, yeah. make, someone make it happen somewhere. Please, Emma Harrell. We are begging. We're so bored. <laughs> please, please give us this other movie. Um, obviously, I wanted to ask about, and we you had ta- mentioned this as well, this movie is like a pretty damning portrayal of being a child actor. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about what... This movie does a weird thing of like showcasing a very weird dark side of the business how did you feel about that Mm -hmm. I think it's it's that's why it's so impactful because it's like we grow up watching like these Disney Channel movies and you know growing attached to characters like Shia LaBeouf or like Hilary Duff and Raven Simone like you're going growing up with all these Disney characters Miley Cyrus um and then at some point or another like they pretty much all like beat for beat will end up like I don't know like falling from their graces or at least like their shiny Disney pedestal um, and I think this does a really good job of showcasing, like, how that is not necessarily the child actor's fault at all. Like, it's a product of them being in this, like, weird system that they're just being essentially used up as, like, products and then, like, spat back out mm-hmm. by this system that's just like, okay, like, you're only as good as 
like the money you can make for us and like what you can do for us. And we don't care that at the end of the day, you're going back to like live with your abusive parents and this foster situation or whatever. They're like, we just want you for like what you can do for us. Um, it's all very transactional. And I think that that's where it gets sad. But um, on the flip side, we go talk about mid nineties, but that's largely a cast of child actors too. I think that, I just think that the, the environment of not that we're super familiar with, you know, like child labor laws on film sets, but um, I right. think that, that when it is handled with a, with the respect that like these children are human beings as well. <laughs> um, yes, totally. Yeah. That you, that in that instance, like you could probably even get more out of the actor and vice versa. Like it's just, you know, treat people with respect, damn it. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that this is different today. Like, I don't know. Obviously, Honey Boy is, in a way, a period piece, right? Mm -hmm. So I would like to think it's gotten better for kids on movie sets and whatever, but I don't know. It makes me sad. Did you ever <laughs> the see idea of, like, the, um, these little kids? When the new Jonas Brothers, this is related, don't worry. Um, when the new Jonas Brothers album came out like a year ago and they had like an entire comeback week on all the late night shows and everything. Um, yeah. They did a carpool karaoke where James Corden called them out on um, what it was like to like be squeaky clean and working for Disney. And Nick Jonas, like, without missing a beat, started um, recitating essentially like this press blurb that he had memorized from Disney about like why they broke up and why they were no longer working with Disney. And it was so like squeaky clean and he was so robotic and like spitting it back out and that he still remembered it all these years later. I'm like, that's like getting put through that machine like can't be good for your mental health as a developing young adult wow I should go find that that's yeah. crazy I didn't know about that yeah it's, it's it's creepy very um okay pivoting kind of hard sorry um I want to talk about the FKA Twigs character I thought it was an interesting choice to have her be a prostitute like to me it felt okay. kind of like give the people some context Okay, yes, yeah, sorry. Thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> so Noah Jupe, the, the young Otis character, and his dad, James, live in a motel instead of, like, an apartment or a home. So obviously, if you live in a motel that charges you, you know, like, by the month or whatever, there are going to be other people that probably also, like, live there. So their room is across from this room shared by a few women and we are, I don't even know, like, what the visual cue is that, like, how we know that she is a sex worker. But I think James says it at one point. Mm -hmm. um, Heckles but, them or yes, something. Yes, yes, something like that. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting choice that I didn't necessarily feel like was necessary. Like, eventually she and Otis, like, become like, friends in a way, and she kind of has this, like, maternal instinct for him that he, like, very desperately clings to, and it's it's sweet, but there's, like, a moment where you can't decide, like... No, I, I know the exact scene. It, it almost feels like it's gonna be sexual. And yes. everyone in the auditorium was kind of, like, <gasps> holding and waiting their breath. They're like, wait, this is gonna get real weird real quick. Um, yes. But, yeah, I, I would like to know if that was intentional because it, like, leads you to believe that, like, he's just going to go down, that that Otis is just going to go down this path um, just as bad as his father of, like, mistreating women and stuff. And then he ends up just kind of needing, like, like you said, like, some sort of maternal love. 
Um, yes. But yeah, I agree. And don't they, the given don't scene they contrast? Don't they contrast that scene? Don't they interplay it with his dad going to the strip club? God, I, to be honest, I haven't seen this movie since we saw it. Um, I feel like they do. I'll have to double check, though. Yeah. But yeah, did you feel like did you feel like casting her in that light was like necessary or do you think she could have just been like a normal woman who lived there um I think honestly I think casting her has a, has like a sex worker it does provide like contrast to her father because her father he or his father um like he plays his dad's a rodeo clown um right. so in one in some light like people could look at that as a career or a job that's like not respected um, much in the same that, like, people often tend to look at sex workers in a way that, like, they don't get respected, that it's not a real job. Totally. Yeah, so I think that it kind of is a foil to his character because here he is, like, a parental figure who's not essentially fulfilling his his rules and responsibilities in the way that he should be, um, when also has this job that kind of is looked upon by outsiders as not worthy, and then here she comes in, um, has kind of, like, an opposing parental figure actually fulfilling that role or at least like substituting for it or yeah um, like attempting to yeah yeah so I think I think it's an interesting foil that like maybe wasn't like gone into like they didn't go too deep into it but like now that we're sitting right, here talking true. about it I'm like okay like I get it yeah does it feel any weirder to you and again this is not like a gossipy podcast but like sometimes it's fun does it feel <laughs> any weirder to you knowing that Shia LaBeouf and FKA Twigs were dating at the time just a little gossip for a treat just a little gossip. Um, well, I didn't know that. That is news to me, so thank you. Yes. Um, of course. No, that doesn't feel weird. I mean, I feel like that's that's how it goes sometimes, you know? It's like okay. we're making a small indie movie, and we're dating, and you're here. Come be in it. That's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. This I feel better about it now. <laughs> I thank buy you, that. Lily. You're welcome. How do we feel overall about, like, the return of Shia LaBeouf? Well, I... I know how I feel about it. I want to know how you feel about it. I I think we feel... I I would like to hope that we feel the same way, but I guess we'll find out in, like, two seconds. Um, But I am a uh, self-proclaimed shy sexual. (laughs) (laughs) I I want him back. I don't know if you... um, Have you seen The Peanut Butter Falcon? I haven't, but it's on my list. You would watch it with your parents while you're stuck at home. You'll love it. You'll cry. He is just, I think he carries so much, maybe now that he's, like, kind of gone through the ringer um, of, like, the Disney machine and then, like, going through rehab um, and his, like, stint in the art world. And now it seems like he's, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm back and I'm, I'm here to, I don't want to say back and better than ever, but back and transformed in a way that is more authentic um, and honest. And I, I just love him. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like now it feels like all his cards are on the table, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, it it almost also, Honey Boy felt like, in some ways, like, an apology. It didn't feel like him trying to, like, skirt the blame for what he's done, Mm -hmm. but it did feel like a a kind of way to be like, this is why I am the way that I am. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, he's, like, insanely talented. I don't, I, it was always, like, unfortunate to me that he kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like went down that same path that we've watched a lot of people his age go down. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm so ready for him to be back. I want like all the things. I want him to like. I mean, I don't know. He, I. It'll be interesting to see what he does from here because it, it feels like he would never, like he hates giving interviews. He hates doing that kind of stuff. So doing like 
anything big budget that requires like a four month press tour, I feel like is out of the question. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know if he'd ever do it. But I'm I'm down for like whatever he wants to do. I'll see it for sure. Yeah, I feel like Ugh, it, I love it. <laughs> but it make, it makes sense that he wouldn't be into those sort of things because those in a way can feel so inauthentic. Like you know, like mm-hmm. you you do your pressers, you give everyone the same answer to the same questions and all that, and it feels like he's just so done with that. He's like, I'm here to act and I want to like put my art into the world, but like not under like these terms and like no bullshit. Do you think we'll see him direct direct in the future? Um, I think if we're like, since we're kind of like comparing and contrasting this with mid nineties, which is Jonah Hill's, uh, directorial debut, debut, I think, um, yes, I would, I would like to see that. Um, and I think only the reason why he didn't take this up himself is it might've just been like too much of a bur I don't want to say burden, but like almost yeah. a pressure or he, responsibility. Yes. Yeah. He talked about this. He was like, I didn't think, I don't think he ever wanted to direct it because he was like it's it's too personal like I'm too close to it Mm -hmm. I can't do that yeah which I think is like one of the ultimate signs of maturity to be like someone else needs to like take the reins here yeah for sure which is probably why it ended up being so good Mm -hmm. yeah and in contrast one of the first movies that my roommates and I uh watched under quarantine was Disturbia um, oh, yes, a, a middle school classic. Yes, a middle school, exactly, which is why I was, like, talking this up to my roommates. I was like, oh, my God, you guys haven't seen, um, haven't seen Disturbia? Like, what? A, yeah, this was great. This was literally, like, the When the Stranger Calls of my junior high life. And we rewatched it, and, uh, oh, he has grown. <laughs> yes. It was so rough. He really has. And so dated. But, um, but yeah, so I, I am on the Shia train and ready to see more of what he can do. But I think yes. for this and um, the Peanut Butter Falcon to be his two, like, comeback movies, I think are it's perfect and I'm, I'm excited for him. Yes, I agree. Okay, in your opinion, what is the sexiest part of Honey Boy? It feels <sighs> weird to ask this question for this movie, but well, yeah, let's both do these it. movies are a little a little odd to to pose the sexy question. Um, but yes. but we we must soldier on in the name of the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, I we must <laughs> say I don't even want to say as much of a shy sexual as I am. I don't want to say Shia because he plays his dad in this movie, and that is not. Yeah, a, that's yeah. The whole point is that he's not that. Yeah. Yes. So pass on that. I'm gonna say. Angry Lucas Hedges. Yeah, I feel specifically like that scene where he goes into the woods and he screams. <laughs> that that really like did something for me. I was like, oh, you're really dealing with your shit. I like that. <laughs> Lucas Hedges is like the the everyman of like millennium cinema, like millennial cinema. <laughs> yes. <laughs> first, like here he is. He's like your first boyfriend who ends up being gay in Lady Bird, and like then he's in Ben is back. It's like a like his range is. It's surprising. <laughs> yes, because and you you haven't seen you haven't seen Waves yet, have you? No. He's also really great in that another film with Alexa Demi. There you go. But um, yeah, he just he ha- he has a face on first look that like feels very kind. Like his mm-hmm. his Ladybird character is like how I imagine him to be in real life, and then we we get him in Honey Boy as kind of like the used and abused in in rehab and therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. like depressed character and then in the mid 90s we also get him in like super angry mode and I'm like whoa Lucas yes yeah, I know it is has kind a of, dark um, side it is kind of alarming exactly okay well that feels like a perfect transition into mid 90s then let's talk about mid 90s wait but was Lucas Hedges your sexy stuff too yeah I think he's kind of the only option 
<laughs> but I didn't pick him because he was the only option. I genuinely picked him because I I concur. No, I, I yes, I like. I yeah, I don't. I don't think we have a ton to work with, but I agree that like something about angry Lucas is um is appealing in some weird way. Probably something I should go to therapy. <laughs> so about. weird, animalistic need deep down is like exactly. Angry Lucas is like, <laughs> fine. Yes, exactly. Okay, mid-90s, Lily, kick it off. Tell us about mid-90s. I assigned for you mid-90s, which you hadn't seen until you watched it, what, yesterday? Um, Yes. So mid-90s is the directorial feature debut of one Jonah Hill, who also wrote it. um, And similar to Honey Boy, but I think in a little less obvious way, it's also a little uh, semi-autobiographical. Jesus, I can't speak now that I've been locked in my house for a month. It's okay. We're all losing our faculties. It's fine. So mid-90s essentially takes place in the mid-90s, following this young character played by Sonny Soljic, this adorable little kid, um, who essentially is moonlighting, has young baby Jonah Hill growing up in Los Angeles in the 90s. Uh, And this little kid is kind of like the rent of the litter. Like he's, his dad isn't really in the picture. His older brother, who's angry Lucas Hedges, um, is a total dick to him. And his mom's a little bit distant and aloof because she's busy, you know, working to provide for the kids. So he kind of takes refuge in the world of skate culture, um, which was probably like peaking in the 90s in LA. Um, So he just kind of grows up and learns about life's lessons with this like ragtag group of like asshole kids skating through the 90s, living living and learning life lessons. yeah, this was also the last movie that I watched with MoviePass, R.I.P. Um, Aww, R.I.P. <laughs> I know, it was so cute. I think I was like, I was, I think I had plans fall through after work one night, and I my office is right near um, a movie theater. God, you remember movie theaters? I do. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Uh, but, but yeah, it was like, there was rumors, they were like, any day now movie pass is going to pull the plug and you're not going to be able to see, like, any movie you want. I was like, ah, shit, uh, this? <laughs> I went and saw it by uh, myself. This? This <laughs> sounds like, good. This works. Um, but yeah, mid-90s. Emma, what was your immediate reaction? Because just, like, when I assigned this to you, I assigned this, um, obviously, like, because you can get it on Amazon Prime for free, and this is our Amazon episode, but I think you picked Honey Boy first, and I think that this yes. is a good compare-contrast. Um, I think this is a good double feature. Um, especially yes, if you're I a agree. sad boy that has some daddy or big brother issues. Um, yes. he's both, he's both, not that sad boys are our listener base, but I think that, that if you know a sad boy, send them this episode. Yes. Sad boys come to us. We will give you movie recommendations. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Um, okay. So initial thoughts. I, this is not a super easy film to watch just from like a content perspective um i mean in terms of plot not, not much happens <clears throat> i mean yeah but it's like so much of it is about abuse and stuff mm-hmm. that like it's really hard to like watch these kids like the lucas hedges character literally like beats the shit out of his little brother and not just in like a play fighting kind of way like in an i'm angry and i really want to hurt you kind of way mm-hmm. like that's hard to watch and then like this kid, you know, takes it upon himself to, like, he self-harms, which is hard to watch as well. And then, like, I don't know. It is a very, like, heavy film. It's funny because I was looking at the description on Amazon and it was, like, a funny movie about... I was like, um, what? Excuse me? Like, I guess there are funny moments, but, like, I literally was like, 
oh my god, it's so many parts of this movie. I think it didn't entirely work for me, but I respect its hustle, if that makes sense. Yes, no, I, I think I feel the same way. Um, I think taking this has like a, like this is Jonah Hill's like first feature film that he's direct. He's done like some, he's actually done some commercial work and music videos, which I didn't realize until I had yeah. like fallen into a rabbit hole. I was on some like content agency's website and they were like, yeah, Jonah Hill, we represent him as like a commercial director. I was like, who knew? But yeah, so I, I think that this is a good like exercise for him and kind of getting that like personal greedy indie film off his chest this so like taken in perspective I think this is good and then I also think I also think that if we were like you know young gents who grew up with skate culture that we would eat this shit up like I don't totally. I don't necessarily think that we are the the ideal audience for this film um besides no, the, I would agree besides the fact that it's like an A24 movie by Jonah Hill with Alexa Demi and and Lucas Hedges so like you know every yes. NYU film kid is like beating off to this um (laughs) so like we kind of fall into like that general audience but um yes otherwise yeah I don't necessarily think that like I understand the people that do love this movie and stand it hard I get it but not us yeah personally yes I again I like there I I found myself um nitpicking the plot a lot Mm -hmm. like toward the end of the film I guess, like, spoilers are fine here because this movie's two years old and it's on Amazon, so... But I'll try not to give too much away. Like, there's that point in the film where he and Lucas Hedges have that, like, kind of the final all-out brawl when Mm -hmm. he comes home and he's drunk. Lucas Hedges' character gives him a black eye. And, uh, okay, imagine, like, being 18 or whatever. Let's say Lucas Hedges' character is 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Imagine giving your 13-year-old brother a black eye. And then the next scene is when the mom takes the kid, Stevie, to the skate park and is like, you better not hang out with my son ever again, like, blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, wait a second. Obviously, it's bad that he came home drunk as a 13-year-old, but also, your kid beat the shit out of him. Like, are we not going to deal with that at all? And it's one thing to, like, I don't know. There are certain forms of abuse, obviously, that, like, a lot of the stuff that was happening probably was, like, mostly covered by clothes and whatever, but a black guy is pretty unavoidable. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, like, I found myself, like, doing little nitpicks like that with the plot, which, like, is never a great sign. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, this is also coming from a movie who one of their main characters' names is Fuck Shit. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Literally, Fuck Shit, no space. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't give a fuck shit. But no, I, I agree. And I think the the scenes of abuse... I mean, but you, there are scenes throughout the movie where all Stevie wants to do... Like, Stevie does look, look up to his brother, which is, you know, like we're talking about abuse, like kind of a backwards way to think about it. But that's kind of often how it goes. Like, he almost has sort of like a... Mm-hmm. um. He's, like, enamored with him. Yeah. And then I think, like, a lot of times, like, when he tries to, when when he learns, because he's such a sweet boy, like, his character is so, like, mm-hmm. mild-mannered and soft-spoken yeah. compared to all these other kids, and then you see him, like, trying to have these kind of, like, more badass, like, he's trying to, like, act harder than he is, and I think it's just, yes. that's the example of, like, you know, who you surround yourself with, and it's, like, his brother is, like, a dick, and then here he is trying yes. to emanate no, that. No, it, it very much, that, it made sense to me that, like, 
he had this void in his life because his brother, he, the dad is obviously not in the picture. His brother's really mean to him. So it makes sense that he like would find this other group of guys that like would take him in and essentially like be those big brothers for him. Mm-hmm. It totally makes sense. Like all that tracks. I understand. It's like all of the decisions he made in the film, meaning Jonah Hill with the film, like I understand all of them. I don't know if I agree with all of them. Yes. You know? Well, how did you feel about the... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. All good. I was going to say, how did you feel about the um, the Alexa Demi-like intimate scene? <laughs> what is it? Both these movies have like two uncomfortable scenes where you're like, wait, is this going to happen? Yes. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm trying to take it lightly because I think this movie, this movie deals with some heavy shit, but like in a lighter way. Um, because like these, these young boys don't really know how to, like the only way that they know how to process emotions is like through skating and through being assholes to each other. And I think Mm -hmm. this movie kind of also is the same thing. Like you have to view it through that, that lens. So yeah. So young Stevie has his first semi-sexual encounter with Alexa Demi and it's odd because Alexa Demi's character is very much older than he is. Yeah. I bet, I bet in the movie she's probably supposed to be like. 17 or 18 right like late high school yeah i would imagine yeah the stevie character is literally 13 <laughs> oh i just felt so icky watching it yeah but i i think that kind of goes like these kids are icky like these kids are little shits <laughs> yeah but yeah but you had a slight issue also with the use of the cinematography bothered you i kind of want to touch on that because i have yes. a rebuttal for that because i disagree so it just bothered me because i it was obviously a choice right like in that aspect ratio and in that way. I, again, understand the choice. I don't feel like I needed it, right? Like, I, t- to me personally, I don't feel like it really, like, added anything to the film. And mm-hmm. I think it would have been perfectly fine if it was shot, like, in a totally normal way. Again, I get the, I, I get it, but I don't need it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just think that this wasn't your movie. Yeah, it, it felt like I was, like, watching a 90s infomercial. And I was like, we live in 2020. What I like about it um, and what I think um, a lot of people did come to appreciate about the movie that weren't like directly influenced by skate culture growing up is that like it's very nostalgic in that sense. And clearly you didn't grow up with skate culture at all, Emma. I mean, obviously not. (laughs) No, but, but homemade skate videos are, it's such a big thing. Like you probably have no idea, but like walk past any like skate park in New York City um when things are back to normal and people can go outside again and you know be social filming kids filming like skate videos is such a huge subculture um like you'll see like people will save like little kids will save up piggy banks and just buy these like almost like VHS type camcorders that you can like hold while you're skating and everything and people make homemade videos um so I think it really emanated that vibe yes yes and I again like I I I I think it's really cute that um, it's cute that, that one character. <laughs> no, I thought it was cute that that one character like had a video camera that he like brought around all the time, and then and he kept saying like I want to be a filmmaker, I want to be a filmmaker, or whatever. I thought it was very cute because obviously like you can assume Jonah Hill is like putting part of himself into the Stevie character, mm-hmm. but then it was kind of cute to see like another character being like, I want to be a filmmaker. You know, there's, like, part of him in all of these kids, mm-hmm. I kind of feel. 
I, I thought that was a nice, yeah. a nice touch. That and didn't feel like too over the top. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of how Honey Boy kind of beats up the idea of like child actors, I feel like this takes it and does it in the right way. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the majority of these kids um, who are kind of in the skate crew have never acted before in their lives. And you can yeah. definitely tell like they, they have such good chemistry. Like they literally mm-hmm. look like you picked them up off the street from the skate park and like threw them all together. And they're yeah. like, we're going to film you now in this movie. Yes. And so I think that that's a testament to kind of like, you know, doing it the right way. Like this isn't a polished Disney production. This is like, you know, down and dirty indie movie and they're handling this like these are actually like what these kids are like. So I think it's a good I think it's also authentic. I think the theme of both of these movies, they feel very like authentic to the person that they the came creator. From. Yeah. No. And I also I admire the fact that on his first time out he wanted to work with people who hadn't acted before. Mm-hmm. I can imagine how if you were a first-time director, you would want to work with, like, seasoned pros because you would want people who are at the top of their game who hopefully make you look good and you yeah. don't have to, like, hold their hand. Can there's carry something some very admirable. for you. Yes, there's something very admirable about the fact that, like, that's, that kid, Sonny, he literally, like, plucked him out of a skate park. Mm-hmm. Like... that kid is a real skateboarder and he's like a little i looked at his instagram before we did this pod he's like a little doing tricks and stuff it's it's (laughs) so cute and he's so adorable i want him and noah jupe like in something together i know it's very cute i you know something that like feels like kind of a through line between these two movies as well is like this theme of like toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. you know like obviously in honey boy the James character is really struggling with his own masculinity. He, like, refuses to hold his son's hand. Like, he he won't, like, be affectionate toward his son. And then, you know, the Otis character is, like, literally, like, just love me. Like, why won't you hold my hand? Why won't you whatever? And then in, um, in mid-90s, obviously, you see, like, Lucas Hedges, his character does not know what to do with himself. He's, like, beating the crap out of his little brother. And then you see him try to, like, go find that love somewhere else, kind of the way that the Otis character does in Honey Boy. I don't know. I just think it's, like, a really... Both of them, like we said, good for sad boys. Yeah. Like, a, lot of, a lot of meditations... Yes, a lot of meditations on masculinity in these two films, yes, in my opinion. for sure. Um, and then one last thing I do want to mention about mid-90s before we get on to the sexy stuff is... So there was yes. an odd number of skate movies that came out in 2018, and I know you haven't seen any of them, so I'm not going to harp on this for too long... Um, but the two other movies, uh, one was called Skate Kitchen, which was, um, about, like, girl skaters, and the other was Minding the Gap, which is a documentary, um, that's on Hulu, um, that was honestly one of the best documentaries that I've seen in, like, the recent past. It, um, and I think that this movie kind of took away from them a little bit, those, like, not intentionally, because mm. obviously, like, you can look at this, like, oh my god, look, all these cool skate movies came out in 2018, um, but everyone was like, yeah, like the Jonah Hill mid nineties, H24 blah, movie. Um, uh, and like everyone's geeking about that while like kind of not giving the attention to these two other amazing films. One that was like a lot more focused and created by women. And then the other, that is a like moving true life documentary. So I just wanted to shout out those two. And I honestly haven't seen Skate Kitchen yet, but Minding the Gap is so good and it's on Hulu. Um, so if you still need something to watch on Hulu, give that a good watch, but yeah, a lot of skate movies in two years ago. Weird, but okay. So it's it's weird how those like trends seem to just kind of like happen like organically. Yeah, very odd. 
But it, I mean, not mad. Not mad about it. Yeah, in two years, it's going to be a bunch of coronavirus movies. Oh, yes. Isolation. I the I'm isolation like... rom-com and then the isolation drama. And yeah. <laughs> Darren Aronofsky, feel, it feels like he's going to have a field day with this. That's Ugh. all I have to say. Woof. Um, no shade to him, obviously. Okay. What is, in your opinion, the sexiest part of mid-90s? Okay, unlike the last film, it is not Angry Lucas Hedges because Angry, Agreed. at least Angry Lucas Hedges in the last in Honey Boy was working through something, and this one he is most definitely not working through it. Um, definitely not. Except arguably the last scene, um, which I'm not going to spoil. Like him and his brother do have sort of like a a rekindling moment that like isn't necessarily doesn't redeem his character, but like gives you hope. Um, mm-hmm. But in this instance, it is not. Angry Lucas Hedges, I want to say, I think the nostalgia factor and the music um, was the fun, I don't know, maybe it's actually fun. It was the fun, most fun part for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just think that the, like the grittiness of this movie and how like authentic it was in like its script, like the way these kids talk is actually how these kids talk and, you know, right. the desire to fit in and, and find a family and be a part of a group. And the music, the music slaps just in terms of like, you know, like classic 90s hip hop rap fun stuff. Um, yes. It's a good one. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's what you say um, when you have nothing sexy to pick out. No, I do have a <laughs> sexy thing. And again, it's not exactly like overtly sexy. It just like made my heart warm, I guess. Um, there's that moment in the film when, hmm. I watched this yesterday and I kind of can't remember where in the movie it takes place, but it's when the the oldest skate kid, Ray, the one who's like trying to go pro, mm-hmm. when he, maybe it's like after Lucas Hedges like beats up the Sonny character like again, and he takes the kid, um, he takes the kid skating and it's just the two of them and it's like at night and it's very like... I'm going to take you under my wing. Like, I'm going to be your big brother. Mm -hmm. And it was just, like, so heartwarming and so pure. And I was like, oh, this really, like, I don't know. It was very nice. I thought it was really sweet and, like, not not too earnest. And I I liked it. Isolation has... It's not exactly sexy. Isolation has made us soft. I'm pretty sure, like, our sexy stuff for the last, like, two movies has literally been just, like, this was really sweet and this moved me. (laughs) I mean, I also think we haven't <laughs> we've gone soft. overtly sexy movies lately, so maybe we need to get back on that train. <laughs> we need to give the people what they want. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Last Picture Hose. Um, obviously, we're all still in isolation and quarantine, so... Let us know what you want us to pod about. Hit up our Instagram, DM us, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. My name is Emma Beatty, and you can find me on social media at Emma Beatty. And I'm Lily Stuklin, and you can find me on social at Stooks. And you should also follow The Last Picture Hose at Last Picture Hose. All right, we will be back soon with more streaming recommendations. Stay healthy, everybody. Bye.